and welcome to part two of the Merchant of Venice episodes. Last week, we decided we were going to split this podcast into two episodes as it was a lot of content. So in this episode, you're going to hear the rest of our recording from last week, our wonderful interview with Rachel Pickup and some few bonus points that we've got. Isn't that right, Jimmy? That is correct, Ali. I'm so excited about this great interview because she's such a fantastic guest. She is. She's really great. So I can't wait for you guys to listen to that. Just to help our listeners, shall we give a little rundown of what we covered last week so we can get them back up to speed? That sounds good. So as we said last week, this is a play which holds some pretty dark themes. It holds the main theme of racism and it deals with the outsider of Shylock. Um, We won't go through the entire plot because I think everyone is fairly up to speed with the general uh, narrative anyway, but we're just going to remind those that are tuning in for the first time. Shylock's a Jewish businessman. He's struck a deal with Antonio and Bassanio, who are looking for some money so that Bassanio can woo Portia. Um, The deal is, is that if they can't repay Shylock by a certain date, he can take a pound of Antonio's flesh. The money's been lost at sea. Shylock's daughter has gone off with Lorenzo. So things are not looking good for Shylock. So he is really, really keen to get his pound of flesh. It all culminates in a court scene where Portia basically completely turns the tables on him and Shylock is forced to convert to Christianity, which for him is probably something that's even worse than death. Nice little roundup. Okay, and now we're going to move straight into our interview with our fantastic guest. She is known for her leading breakthrough role in BBC series No Bananas, as well as starring at theatres such as The Old Vic in King Lear, where she played Cordelia, and The Royal Shakespeare Company, where she starred in Two Gentlemen of Verona, A Midsummer Night's Dream, Julius Caesar, All's Well That Ends Well, and of course, playing Portia in The Merchant of Venice, which she also played at the Globe Theatre. It is, ladies and gentlemen, Rachel Pickup. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Jimmy. Very happy to be here talking about this in these dark times. Dark play to be talking about, but yeah, I'm delighted to be doing so. Dark times indeed, but we are so glad you could join us for this. Jimmy, let's take it away. Okay, our first question is, if you had to pick one defining quality of Porsches, what would that be? Oh my goodness, that's a huge question. I mean, I mean, not to play devil's advocate, okay, not to play devil's advocate, but I think, you know, obviously what's so brilliant, as I know you know about all Shakespeare's wonderful characters, is that they are so multifaceted. I mean, I think the first thing that popped into my head when you said that was intelligence. I think, um, she is fiercely intelligent and she is um, a, a thoughtful character. By that I mean um, she, she considers things before jumping in. I mean, she has, has huge spontaneity as well, but um, she is also a thinker and a student. Um, that's why she's able to go into the court. She's witty, she's compassionate, she's passionate full of prejudices. I mean, I'm kind of, I know these are all the things that we'll probably talk about, but, um, but yes, uh, I think her defining quality would be intelligence. Not bad quality to have as your defining one, I don't think. What do you think made Princess of Monaco and Aragon so unattractive to her? I mean, (laughs) it's one of the, I mean, this is, this is the huge, one of the huge debates of the play. I mean, it's very unfortunate. She talks she talks about their complex. Well, she certainly talks about the complexion of Morocco, um, 
and she has the line, let all of his complexion choose me so. Um, they are written as buffoons. They are written as clowns. One wants to assume that they are written as such, not because of their race, but because of them just being foolish men who are either vain or arrogant um, and so on. Um, I mean, I like to think that Shakespeare is, uh, you know, I think it's so interesting. Everybody who studies Shakespeare or who's done Shakespeare plays sort of likes to claim they know what he would think or, you know, but but I do think someone with such humanity, such hugeness of spirit, I choose to believe, and certainly when, when I was working on Portia, I choose to believe that he was not, Shakespeare was not a racist. Um, I think he was trying to expose it in his characters. And certainly there is huge prejudice in Portia and I would say all of the Christians in this play. Um, and certainly the lines that we kept in, let all of his complexion choose me so, and, and things like that would indicate that she is not keen on them for um, because of their race, perhaps. However, there's also the element, you know, of her already being in love with Bassanio. And that was what I cho chose to also believe was an element of it. Um, in the very first scene with Nerissa, she talks about, um, Nerissa talks about the suitors who are coming that day to embark upon the, the casket trial. And when Bassanio's name is brought up, Portia says, oh, yes, I, I remember, I remember him. I, I, you know, and she tries to hide it, but, but she, she does remember him. And in order to also avoid the story, the, the idea of love at first sight, which of course I could believe in, um, but in order to, to try and remove too many fairy tale elements from this play, because that's a difficult enough thing to, to reconcile anyway, but um I chose to believe that, and we all chose to believe that um, she and Bassanio had met before and had laid eyes upon one another and had fallen for each other before he comes to Belmont to do the trial. Um, so I think that's also one of the reasons why she doesn't want Morocco or Aragon to, to, to make the right answer. Um, but then also, like I say, I mean, Shakespeare, the, you know, if you, always, if you start from the text, the text that both of those characters have shows underlying poor character qualities. And again, I would like to believe that it was the content of it, their character that she was not in favour of, rather than their skin colour or their uh, cultures or anything like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's a really sticky area. There's no getting away from the dark sides of this play. I mean, like I said at the very beginning, and, and again, in our production, we absolutely chose to lean into that. The ugly side of this play permeates throughout it's not just the treatment of Shylock and you know unfortunately it's it's what we we are living in the midst of always have certainly not been eradicated and and I think there is an element of prejudice there without without a doubt sorry that's a very long answer <laughs> not at all it was brilliant and the thing that I thought about during that answer was how timeless Shakespeare is and this play obviously has underlying themes of racism we clearly haven't really moved on centuries later, have we? I mean, no, we haven't. It's it's horrendous. You know, actually, when we were rehearsing, this play was during the Brexit vote. And I remember 
the day, as we all will, the day after the vote, the day after people voted to leave, we all came into rehearsals and, uh, I mean, the atmosphere was horrible. And, you know, and, and again, I mean, when, when we'd started rehearsals, because of the campaigning for Brexit, obviously, you know, we were aware of this, the, the rise in um, people who seemed to be proud of their xenophobia and proud of their prejudices and, you know, people suddenly thinking that it was all all right to voice this or, or good to voice this. And um, I do believe that it's a conversation that needs to be had, which is why it's vital that we have these protests that are happening right at this very minute. And I think the more these things aren't talked about, the, the worse they become. Clearly, we haven't addressed this in hundreds and hundreds of years and the problem persists. So I think um, clearly not talking about it isn't the answer. Um, but yes, I mean, absolutely what he was writing about, he was obviously in a, in a society, it was written in a culture when prejudice against Jews was pervasive and endemic. And here we are again, still talking about the same things. Um, I mean, I, I also think, again, back to sort of what I was saying before, I, I think a lot of people find this play incredibly offensive. And and indeed, there is a lot of, about it which is offensive. And I think that's not an argument to not do it. I know it causes a lot of pain. And some people say it shouldn't be ever put on. Um, but again, I, I think the conversation is important and I certainly don't think the play is in support of the, uh, if you like, the Christians. I mean, I think, again, Shakespeare is such a fair writer of such great heart and humanity. He gives everybody their say. But I think if he is going to come down on a baddie in this play, I absolutely think it's the Christians. Um, but in our production, you know, I remember the two Jonathans, Jonathan Price and Jonathan Mumby, our director, they, they, it wasn't that they were determined to make Shylock sympathetic. Um, it was simply that um, we wanted to understand why he behaves as he behaves. Um, and again, obviously at the time when I'm playing Portia, when I was, when I was in my Portia head, if you like, I, you know, you try and see things from Portia's point of view, but with retrospect and and even at the time as well, I mean, I can understand why Shylock does what he does. I can't understand the inherent racism or prejudice of um, some people, which I also do think is is there in, in Portia. So that's harder for me to understand than actually what Shylock does. Yeah, really lovely answer. And I completely agree. Um, it's obviously like everything that, you know, he's, experience to make him behave that way we are the result of the actions that happen to us I suppose mm. um along that line the play is a tragedy for Shylock but it is still billed as a romantic comedy even now why do you think this is when the substance is so dark I mean it's like Chekhov's plays are called comedies um but the two are just so knitted together I mean they absolutely run concurrently and, and actually I feel maybe even more than it's billed as a comedy, I think maybe it's billed as one of his problem plays, um, of which there are many. I, I happen to think, you know, this is probably the best of those problem plays. And I think the problem plays are always the ones which are trying to knit those two, those two themes. I mean, if you think about what's considered, I think, one of his most perfect comedies, which is 
Twelfth Night. I mean, there's great sadness, and again, pre prejudice in that as well. And I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's one of the things that made playing Portia really difficult because the real meat of the story is the trial and, the, and obviously what happens with, with Shylock and Antonio and, and Portia as Balthazar. Um, but of course, as Portia and Nerissa and Graciano and Bassanio, the, the marriage, the love, that has to matter, that has to be paramount. You know, you know, going into Act Five, when Shylock has been abandoned by Shakespeare, you know that many people in the audience are going to probably kind of like, you know, tune out. There's this frothy drama, you know, frothy stuff, triviality of of exchanging of rings and and things like that. I mean, I think it serves several purposes. I think partly, you know, the juxtaposition of that, you know, the, the privilege that we have as the Christians in the play, the privilege to be able to have this kind of frothy conversation about rings in comparison to the um, deep agony that, that Shylock has just gone through with losing his daughter, his money and his, his religion, his faith. Um, you know, the privilege that we are allowed to sort of play around with that, I think that's probably telling part of the story. I think, I think in, in that Act 5, we tried to, to show that Portia and Bassanio, as well as Nerissa and Graciano, that they had been changed by what's happened in Act 4. I think it's very hard to play that final act just light and merry um, because, because of what they've they've seen and done um, and if there's any humanity in them they've got to know that things aren't perfect and one has to sort of worry about their marriage going forward you know not necessarily worry but it's not going to necessarily be an easy an easy ride and so I think I think you know the, the the comedy is there but I think the play is absolutely divided between the two. One of the really fascinating things about this play is it highlights the problem throughout centuries really of anti-semitism i was talking to my mm. grandmother just the other day who's Jew my mum's side of the family are jewish and we were talking about how she's experienced it and her mother experienced it her father experienced it and really ever since the 1500s this has been something that we seem to have not really ever got away from and i was just interested to know your personal thoughts about why you think this is the case? I don't understand any form of uh, racism. I I don't understand the fear of the other. I um, I don't understand why society has seen so many atrocities and still allows more to happen. Um, the abuse and brutality that we've seen in this last week. Um, I, 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 I haven't, I wish I had an answer to that. I, I don't, I'm ashamed to be inarticulate about it. And I, um, I do know that it was, again, it was very important to us, even though the play, it was period, set in the period in which it was written, but, um, like I said, we really leaned into the anti-Semitism and, you know, normally at the Globe, you have a, a jig at the end. We, we didn't do that. We had the brutal 
baptism of, of Shylock. Um, and at the beginning, instead, we had this jig, this mask kind of dance in, in Venice, but that was pierced by the beating of two Jewish men passing through the, the Venetian carnival that was taking place. And yeah, I mean, all I can say is that it felt right to do that because that seems to be what the play is really talking about precisely because of what you say, because it, because it hasn't gone away. Um, but why it hasn't, I, I couldn't begin to answer. You touched on it a little bit. Do you think Shakespeare was on Shylock's side? Do you think it's a lesson in this play? One of the key things that so many directors I've worked with have always said with Shakespeare, with any play, you, you begin with the text. And I do think if you just look at the evidence of what every character says in this play, the lion's share of the awfulness seems to be with the Christians. I mean, the way Graciano and his, you know, the, the salads, as they're called, Sol Solario and Solanio, Solanio and Solario, I forget their name, but the, the way they behave in the trial and beforehand, or the way they treat um, Shylock in the marketplace, being spat upon. And I think most crucially, the speech that the play is known for, well, the play is known for two speeches. It's known for Hath Not A Jew Eyes and The Quality Of Mercy. And what's so fascinating is that the Hath Not A Jew Eyes speech is the speech of greatest humanity in that play. And the fact that he puts that in the mouth of Shylock, I think, says an awful lot. And then conversely, this, this, this speech which begins The Quality Of Mercy is not strained. I mean, if you don't know this play, you will know Shil the name Shylock and Hath Not A Jew Eyes, and you will know the line, the quality of mercy is not strained, which implies the person speaking it say, is, is, is full of mercy. You know, it's not strained. You know. uh, but of course, she is hypocritical and doesn't show an awful lot of mercy in that scene. And nor does she in, in, the, you know, in, the, in the marriage trial scene, if you like, that comes afterwards. So I, I, you know, if I was going to pick which side Shakespeare was on, I actually would pick that he was on Shylock's side. I, I know there are many brilliant scholars out there who know far more than I ever will about Shakespeare. You know, you know Harold Bloom, who I think he died only last year, but a very brilliant, contentious man. But I know he says without a doubt it's an anti-Semitic play, and of course I understand the argument for that. I. I really don't believe it is, but I'm also aware that that can be that that could cause pain. Even my saying that, um, but again, I it, it partly comes back to Shakespeare and what we know of all his characters. I mean, he does he doesn't actually seem to judge in many ways. I think he's that's one of the one of the reasons he's so brilliant is his lack of judgment. Well, I mean, what can I say, Rachel? That was such a brilliant interview, and it was so fascinating and so brilliant so all I can say is thank you so so much it's my huge pleasure it was fascinating I wish I could um I wish we could be sitting down in a bar and a whole bunch of us carrying on talking about this especially at this at this important time and be out there in the on the protests and so on thank you so much it's been wonderful having you it's been fun thank you for giving me the opportunity
What a fantastic interview that was. Thank you so much to Rachel Pickup. We're now going to discuss the end of the play. Yes, we are. And this is going to be taken from last week's recording. So please enjoy. You just are left with these questions. And I think, you know, nothing is answered. And I think that's the thing that's so, you know, even what happens to Shylock at the end isn't isn't covered. It's just a classic case of Shakespeare putting everything out there and giving you no clues as to what he thinks or to how these characters are supposed to. I mean, you know, there's even debates about whether Shakespeare himself was anti-Semitic, and that's something which there's a huge divide over. So um, I think that's the appeal, really, for me to go and read or watch it, is actually to think, you know, is, is to work out what you think of it. Yeah, and I, I, I love, like, that you were saying that, like, Shakespeare puts it out there and he doesn't like have an he doesn't write an opinion into the play and I think that's maybe why like we see it so differently now we see it as like a super anti-semitic well you know some people see it as a super anti-semitic play I, I personally do you you're of the um the thoughts that you know he's not because how could he write something so impassioned from the perspective of somebody who's he's supposed to be prejudiced against which is a totally fair comment and I think but like, the final thing really to talk about in regards to this is is there a place for this play should it still be put on is it one of those things where you know people should still watch shows which are considered outdated and backwards i i think there's always a place for a play about an outsider who's persecuted because i think we move in cycles I, i've always thought this that actually one of my favorite books that I studied at school was is called A History of the World in Ten and a Half Chapters, and it's by Julian Barnes. And it's all about how history is not chronological, but it's repetitive. And it's about how, you know, we can advance in the world through technology and machinery, but we we man always makes the same mistakes. Man, woman always makes the same mistakes. And it's it doesn't um it's not you know, you saw it in like, like I said earlier on, you see it you see it in the nineteen thirties against the Jews. You saw it in the 60s against the black community in America. Uh, you, we saw it very recently and against Muslims. And, you know, we see it against refugees. And there's, there's always someone to blame. And it's whenever I think as a society we're fearful or we're economically repressed or it's very easy for someone to grab a community of people that are afraid and frightened and to say, you know, these people, these people are the ones to fear and these people are the ones that are going to make life 10 times harder for you. And I think... We move in cycles with that. We don't. We don't advance. It doesn't get better, 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 better. It comes in. It comes like a cycle, and there's always going to be another moment in time. I'm sure there will be a time in 40, 50 years from now where we have a. You know, we hopefully are going to economically recover from this recession, and we're going to be great. I'm hoping. I'm touching wood as I'm saying this. Um, but I'm sure there'll be another time where we have an economic disaster, and I'm sure there'll be someone who capitalizes on people's fears and finds a group of people to blame so i think this play is a constant reminder of how damaging that can be for one you know that 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 one person that we see through shylock is that you know there are there are many many shylocks there are many many people that are treated like that and um yeah i think there's always a there's always a space for that i think so this week on Twitter, we asked everybody what their favourite line in Shakespeare was and the best one would get a shout out. We had some fantastic answers. Um, somebody sent us one saying, I am Iron Man, which is very, very funny. But obviously, 
doesn't qualify for a shout out. Um, I found my favorite one from Jessie Headstrom. And she said, I can see he's not in your good books. No. And if he were, I would burn my library. That's also my favorite one. So I think I'm the person who always goes for comedy and humor. Jimmy, what was your favorite quote? Yeah, I'm going to find it now. It was brilliant. It is. Bear with me. I'm just scrolling down. We had so many, so many answers. So this was really, really great. This was my favorite one. And it's by Michael Keane. And it says... I would challenge you to a battle of wits, but I see you are unarmed. I, think that's I love it. We both went for, for comedy quotes. We're both just lighthearted people in a lockdown, aren't we? More comedy, the better. I think so. Everybody needs a reason to smile at the moment. We also put another question on Twitter. So for those, we also got so many answers for that as well. But for all those people that are waiting to see who the winner is for that, we're going to announce that in next week's episode. So hang tight. And we're going to be, we're going to be doing one a week, aren't we? Yes, we are. So keep your eyes peeled. Just to round off this episode, we're going to talk about where you can watch this play. Jimmy's got some very interesting educational ones for you, but I'm going to kick off with the episode of Buffy the Vampire Sayer from season two that I watched this week. <laughs> it opened up with actually has not a Jew eyes. And I literally couldn't believe it and videoed the screen and sent it to Jimmy and was like, oh my God, I have to talk about it in this week's episode. It's so Buffy the Vampire Slayer. There's a whole episode about it and about the other and being ignored. It's the episode where the girl goes invisible in case you're wondering. So if you want to watch it, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. It was so funny when you sent that to me. I just, I could not believe it. It was so weird. It was literally hours after we'd done our recording. Hours. And then you just switched on the TV and it was like a sign. It was absolutely crazy. I'm going to go through a few educational ones, as Ali said, but also I just want to direct people to this because we had an extraordinary video sent to us on Twitter by someone who's incredible. And we've put the link up um, and I'm just going to sort of open it up so that I can see exactly. It's called Using Shakespeare to Understand Racism. And we're going to put this up on our Twitter and we're going to pin the tweet because it's just such a fantastic video to watch where the the people that have made the video have taken the Hath Not A Jew Eyes monologue and they've put it in the current context with George Floyd. And it's so creative and it's really brilliantly done. So I, we're going to pin that tweet up. Uh, and and we're going to leave it up over the weekend. So do give that a watch. Yeah, it's definitely, please watch it. It's an incredible performance and incredibly passionate. And thank you so much for sending it in to us. It is, is brilliant. So definitely, definitely watch that. Even if you don't want to watch the whole play or film, just watching that monologue, I think it will just drive it home. And it, it makes it so real for everybody at the moment. So please watch it. He's, and he's such a brilliant performer as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And, you know, who knows, after watching that monologue, it might propel you to uh, to watch um, any of these other ones that we've got. So um, the a really great film. It's a, it, I mean, it's a it's a it's a good film. I wouldn't say it's one of the best Shakespeare films of all time, but it's really, really solid. It's got Al Pacino in it and it's got Jeremy Irons and Joseph Fiennes. And that I think was released in 2004. It's a very classical interpretation. It's very period. So um, you can give that a watch. The one that I would recommend to watch is uh, a Globe recording, which you can watch if you sign up and subscribe to the Globe player, which is a good thing to do in lockdown anyway, because you can watch the Globe performances, obviously, as we can't be there this year. And that 
play, that production, which I think was about four years ago, stars Rachel Pickup as Portia, and it stars Jonathan Price as Shylock. And the two of them are just absolutely extraordinary in it. And it's such a fantastic production. So that would be the main one I would go for. Other than that, there is a great one. Uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company have a video up. And there's also just one from Digital Theatre as well. There's other online recordings you can watch as well. That's it for this week. And we hope you join us next week. In the meantime, remember to stay safe. And wash your hands. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.